Welcome back to the channel. I'm joined again by Scott Walner. This is our third episode together. It's a record on this channel, which is very young, but still worth something. Uh, today, we will pick up where we left off. We spoke about uh, fences and tunis, I guess, polarities. And Scott wants to evolve our conversation, I guess, into talking about... Um, Deep triads, but what are you saying? <laughs> what are you saying? Well, I'm you're you're laying it out perfectly. I, I love that you said evolve the conversation from tunis to threeness. <laughs> yeah, but I was gonna say that that you might have something to say about the tunis as well, still. Mm. And uh, then there's a book that Scott recommended to me about the Enneagram, probably some people familiar. Um, this is quite an enigmatic thing, which I have not really articulated my thoughts on yet i've read about half the book it's very interesting the way it like goes over the different personalities but we'll see if we can get to that at all and we'll just get started uh, where we left off with the fences so take it away scott thanks <laughs> um no well as we were just saying before this as we were sort of prepping for our for our intro and um I, I just want to pick up on a little joke for ourselves. You know, you were saying there's no way to summarize like what we're going into. We yeah. just enter into it. Um, and that's like, uh, you know, just like entering into a fractal. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched sort of those zooming into fractal videos. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's kind of the way it is, right? It's just like you have to make your choice of where you enter in mm -hmm. and you don't get to choose everything all at once. And then you just keep searching deeper and deeper. Um and it's a really unique uh, journey to get to whatever endpoint you get to. And sometimes you can't really replicate that either. I think um, that's reality. Yeah, I really exactly. think so. Because the people on, on those types of mystical experiences, they a lot of time that's the visual they get as well. And to me, yeah. that's a bit of a sign that that that's something reflecting reality. But yeah, go on. I'm, I'm with you completely. And um, some other things that I've heard recently, um, and actually Karen has brought this up a couple of times is uh, the fact that like every particle in the universe is unique. This is based on another sort of physicist research or sort of findings, but yeah, that fits into my, uh, my metaphysic or my ontology of the sort of continuous flow of time and context. And so, yes, just by the nature of the way things unfold and grow in a sort of fractal way, that it's like every path you're going down is, is unique in a sense. Um, but maybe we should, I'm going to try to go from picking up from last time, like you said, um, maybe just say a little bit about the, the steep fences yeah. uh, or, or deep trenches, whatever we want, right. Either way works. Um, and then evolving into threeness and, um, and if I'm able Maybe we can go in our final part of the of the conversation if we get there into the Enneagram, which what number is important in the Enneagram? Nine. Nine. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, could we evolve all the way to nine? Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Right. So there maybe there's a path of conversations to get there. And if you go a little bit uh deeper, Lucas, you'll find that uh the what you think of as nine in the Enneagram could actually be 27 or 27 times two 
or 27 times two times nine sort of categorizations. So Is that there's relating that... to the sub, like the subtypes or exactly. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's subtypes. Some people also think of wings. Then there's also uh, paths of integration and disintegration. So there's a sort of movement and direction involved. Um, and so I would love to open that up with you, even if we just do that personally some other time. Sounds um, good. Yeah. And uh, so the Tunis, the steep fence, I, I was saying, like, I thought a lot about it after I talked to you about it. Um, and I was just noticing that there are a lot of other concepts out there that can sort of be matched with this steep fence idea. And the steep fence idea was you have a decision or you have a theory or you have a, a feeling or belief and you sort of have to create two choices for yourself. And that's a dichotomy. It's a little bit of an arbitrary choice sometimes. Maybe it's clear between two choices, but there's two positions to take. Um, and then there's this special position up on top of the fence where you get to sit on the fence and sort of see both. Um, and so that's a sort of two-ness and some of the other concepts that go along with that is, as you mentioned, like a polarity, right? Where, um, well, I guess what's interesting is there's a sort of oneness to the polarity or there's a sort of oneness even to our steep fence uh, imagery, right? It's like, it's one fence, but it creates two sides. Yeah. The polarity of a magnet, right? It's a single magnet, but it has this two-ness of polarity. And so um, I guess <laughs> if we're able to move sort of de-evolve down to zero, right? Through two and one and down to zero and then back up where we maybe want to go today, which is into the three, the three-ness category. Um, a way that I'm hoping to figure out more clearly just in my own mind is how does how do we get from zero-ness or oneness into two, into three, and so on, and continue evolving um, in these sort of patterns and relationships. Mm -hmm. So um, what we find is like the two, the polarity comes out of something that is sort of one dimensional, right? Um, and then the threeness is almost like this, I guess, uh, that sitting on the fence position where there are at first two sides to the fence that you could be on, but there is a third, right? Which sort of makes this triangulation, this extra perspective on the two. Um, and when you add a third, now you get something really interesting. In geometry, you get a polygon, right? A triangle, an enclosed shape. And when you get an enclosed shape, you get an inside and an outside and you get a boundary. Um, and so there's something that fundamentally just sort of pops out when you move or you evolve from two to three, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I want to give you some space to, to jump in before I keep just. No, no, it's amazing. Amazing. I'm like, I'm taking it in because I was listening to a talk before and they spoke about listening. And for me, when I listen, I really don't have a set uh thing that i want to blurt out like i'm really just listening and integrating what you are saying and i'm i'm, I'm visualizing along with it so i you're not occupying uh too much space or anything i think you're still just unfolding your <laughs> your ideas so so keep going please 
Well, well, thank you. That, that is like, um, that's a gift that you have, I think. And so utilize that because I, I struggle with that. I feel like so much of my inner life, I'm just going to share with you, my friend. Um, so much of my inner life is waiting to jump in on someone. Yeah. But that's why, that's why like when I had the first conversation with you, I felt that it was going to be a long ride for sure, because there's a lot to unfold to use your, um, your metaphor from before and for me i'm just taking in like i'm integrating and then afterwards i have the critical thoughts but right now i'm just like i'm seeing <laughs> i'm seeing all that's there okay so, yeah. well i can't help former teacher you know you got to check on your yeah. student no absolutely listen it yeah no i'm just kidding no it you're, is not, it. you're not my student and i'm not the teacher here um i know <laughs> so okay so well let me ask you this then let's just let's just go into some really interesting stuff that other people have said, not me. Um, have you heard of something called the three body problem? I'm really not sure. Maybe because it sounds very much like the mind body problem. And then, mm. <laughs> but I, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know. So please tell me more. The fact that it's a problem is I guess in the way that it's problematic mm. <laughs> in that we have no, uh, we lack good, clear solutions. Um, so it remains a problem and the problem is, I guess, in the most simplified way is, uh, sort of, there are limits to what we can know about systems that involve three entities or three bodies or three quantities. Um, so when you look at sort of the complex dynamics of systems, we can, uh, not we, I just, I'm saying we as yeah. in the broader field of mathematics, science. not me and you probably, I could maybe grit through some of the mathematics and computation myself, um, or sort of read it like I can read music poorly, mm -hmm. but, um, there are sort of paradoxical limits, I guess, to what we can know just when we increase from like one entity or one body to two to three. And there's this massive leap in sort of complexity when you move from two to three. In a mathematical so, sense. In a mathematical sense. So it's like it's it's leaking in terms of um, how accurate the, the picture is of it. Would that sure, be? But, not, but maybe not even so much how accurate, just like we can't be accurate. Okay. Um, so there's actual limits. Like if you might be able to imagine... Um, trying to account for the movements um, and relative movements of sort of three stars orbiting each other yeah. right? or just two stars orbiting each other. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot that we can sort of describe mathematically when it's two stars. And you would think because we have all of that complex mathematics that there's just some logical next step to yeah. take account of a third body. But for some reason, there is just an extra level of complexity when you move on to three. Why do you think that um, is? Why do I think that is? Yeah. Um, well, one interesting thing, this, this might not be why, but mm -hmm. this seems related is kind of what I mentioned about, well, what's the difference between a line and a triangle? right? Mm -hmm. There's just a massive change in dimensionality. 
right? It's literally like a higher dimensionality in the mathematics. And we can sort of think of also just dimensions of, um, you know, sort of variables or something like that. Like, again, you know, a line has two dimensions, you know, um, or, or one dimension, sorry, with two directions, one dimensional line, and then a shape that takes up, you know, is flat on the plane has two dimensions, right? We can move yeah, in, the I understand. in the Y direction. And so that extra dimension is literally like a new place for existence to happen. Could you, you know? not have that with two, two lines? No, that's so, true. Right. So you, yeah, you, two, two lines exactly but they would have to intersect and there would have to yeah. be a relation between those two lines to sort of realize that extra dimension each line in and of itself is only that one dimensional polarity i guess um but when you bring them into a higher system right imagine that you live on the line right the line all over there or the line crossing over you you don't have any access to that this yeah. is the sort of thought experiment of the book um, and story Flatland, yeah. if you've ever heard of it. Hey, I'm familiar. Yeah, it's such a cool little book. You could read it in an afternoon because you do this like crazy speed reading. Um, but yeah, it's like from the perspective of these beings that live in one dimensional, two dimensional, three dimensional uh, spaces. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess the other point then is I'm constantly trying to move between the geometry and the math and then things like concepts and even concepts that have a sort of spiritual nature or some sort of human level meaning right how do i jump from i think we were just barely talking before and this is where we said well we gotta do we just gotta just start yeah. is there are relationships between the features of geometry that can be sort of mapped onto concepts in my opinion yeah. and and it's, it's not just my opinion i could maybe cite some other sources that are thinking along the <laughs> um but yeah what does what does the angular relationship between concepts mean how can we usefully bring in um you know things like trigonometry proofs and what we know about side lengths and angles in triangles, how can we bring that into conceptual relationships that also have three aspects? Yeah. So this is where I ultimately want to go with the threeness is not like this really interesting mathematics that pops out or the geometry that is there for us. Um, but what deep triads are meaningful right? What relationships of three concepts specifically are really meaningful? Yeah. And before maybe we go into those, I just want to say three is not extra special. It's just special in that it's three and not two or four, because we could easily say, let's choose the number four and let's find meaningful relationships of concepts that are categorized by some fourness, right? And there's an interesting symmetry and, um, again, uh, relationship of things in fours that is different than threes and different than twos. Yeah. And so to me, it would be nice. I have this like, maybe like this grand project 
um, that other people will have to do for me, I guess, where it's like, let's create categories of at least one, ones, twos, threes, and fours, where we put together these groups of four concepts that seem to really work well together. And then we have multiple groups of four concepts or multiple instances of three concepts that work together or twos and try to come up with some like principles of all of the categories of four um, that we have or all of the categories of three that we have. Um, and one reason I think this is an important thing to do is that there are already multiple instances which have different origins that come to these same groupings okay right like yeah. there are concepts of three in many spiritual religious esoteric traditions right they might not be the exact same three concepts but nonetheless they're grouped in three mm -hmm. and so what can we say about all groups of three concepts that are meaningful yeah. right yeah a lot of it is landing for me like i see how it scales up and down for sure and I'm also starting to understand why geometry and mathematics in general have been so revered, maybe, uh, by the Platonic tradition, among others. Because I really see how it teaches you so much about reality at large, because reality is self-similar and fractal in nature. So that's really, yeah, it's really starting to, <laughs> starting to land. So, so please continue. That's great. Yeah, exactly. When you sort of get this, um, you get the translate, there's a translation. There's a translation between geometry and concepts. That's in it. my opinion. Yep. I don't have that translation complete, but it seems that it is there. Um, I, I want to just plug a, a book and I, and an idea that honestly, it probably fed me this or it, it fulfilled a place that I was wondering about yep. and just hearing it put so nicely, you know, by these great thinkers, you know, they, it sort of just filled that, that place that I was waiting to like get confirmation. Exactly. And so Arthur, Arthur Young, Arthur, um, Young. Arthur A M. Yeah. Arthur M. Young. Um, he was a philosopher, but he was also an engineer. He basically like invented the modern helicopter. Wow. Um, yeah. But also has like a system for reality. <laughs> so in addition to like <laughs> being a legitimate inventor and engineer, he um, he wrote two two books that, that are really great is The Reflexive Universe and then The Geometry of Meaning, right? So there you go. The geometry of meaning, right? That's what I'm, that's what I've been biting off of. Um, and so I should, I guess, just, you know, cite it here, even though anything I say now is not a direct citation. It's just all, you know, my own weird twist. That's how it's um, supposed to be. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about any, uh, you know, copyright infringements or anything, Good. but um, yeah. So, but other people, so Lucas, there's so many, I mean, <laughs> you're aware of sorry it gets it's so exciting um good it's so exciting because i mean think about wolfgang uh, smith right yeah. and the, the circle and the point and the intermediary right 
there's geometry that goes along with those relationships. And mm -hmm. I think the geometry itself makes sense in terms of how he speaks about those things. Joseph Campbell had the hero's journey, right? Another big one that seems to ring true for lots of human beings, right? And sort of ring true in the way that we assess what we are too. Um, so it's both like very real to you and it's sort of meta real as well. Um, and that's a cyclical journey, right? Jung had a, a circle and a center and below mm. the surface and above the surface and inside and outside and ego and right. And there's geometry there. Why? Why is there geometry? Well, do you have an idea? I I think it's foundational to, like I said, to reality. So it makes sense for us to make the most sense when we use geometry because geometry in many ways is is perfect and i think that geometrical bodies could be conceptualized as being in the the realm that is without time for sure and perhaps without space but i haven't quite figured it out yet but i feel it might be very interesting place to go very interesting hmm well, By the way, do you up, know? Sorry, go, go ahead. You brought up you brought up a lot that I want to like pick at. Yeah, go um, ahead. Or or pick up um, instead. Hmm. There's what you said about being perfect, right? Mm -hmm. this this perfect or maybe platonic um you know place of like ideas or the ideas of geometry right i think it's again pointing at the fact that there is a different space there is a different dimension to go to than what we interact with because we don't see any perfect triangles anywhere we don't see any perfect circles anywhere mm -hmm. there's a few reasons for that <laughs> one it's likely that they don't exist um, because that sort of perfectness just maybe can't happen for some reason, like entropy or whatever the universe is doing. Um, and then there's also the fact that um, how would we know? We can't measure to infinite precision. And so we can never even verify that the circle is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, exactly. we would have to measure infinitely and the computation would never end to sort of give us the result and the verification. Yes, mm -hmm. it's in fact a perfect circle, right? As you zoom in closer and closer on the surface of the circle, maybe you find um, some anomaly. Or as you try to measure that angle of triangles more and more accurately, you never reach the infinite precision, you're just sort of adding decimal points, right? Or significant figures onto the end of it, if you'd like. Um, and there really doesn't seem to be a limit to that. Um, while physics might have something to say about that with Planck length and um, sort of uh, least action principles, we don't need to go there. But if there's any physics people out there watching and they're screaming at me like, what about the Planck length? It's like, I know about <laughs> the Planck length, but I don't want to go there. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think about where do they fit into time and space or not in time and not in space. Um, well, actually, you just said that the, if they are perfect, if geometry is perfect and perfection doesn't exist on this plane of existence, then perhaps they are beyond space. 
just for that reason, because space by definition does not have perfection. That's hmm. Right. I, I think I agree with you in the fact that like when we think of space, it's like we're thinking about the stuff that we move through out here. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. There's maybe some at the fundamental level, why anything exists at all is sort of like some fundamental in my mind, it's some fundamental asymmetry that happened at some point mm. or imperfection. And then that is sort of a seed to a crystal of, you know, like asymmetry. Yeah. You know, if you think about chemistry, it's like some of these things that like requires a little, like a little dose, a little catalyst, a little something else, a little, a seed. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And then, and that little breaking of the order that's in that chemical solution or something, right. Where it's, it's perfect. It's saturated. It's not doing anything. It's homeostatic. Mm -hmm. And then a little bit of asymmetry comes and just knocks it off. It's, homeostatic position and then boom lots sort of just yeah. fall out it just cascades out of that yeah. and maybe our universe is like that and we're seeing like this very very branched out edge of what has cascaded before um and right so the other thing about space um if we are thinking geometrically in space um you don't really have a good sense. Like imagine yourself out in a vast three-dimensional space um, and you see a triangle like floating out in front of you. Yeah. If you have no reference points for that triangle, you really have no way of knowing where the triangle is, how big it is, or what orientation it, it's in. If mm -hmm. you're in this sort of like human vision model of things and the way that we see the world. So what I mean by that is if you don't have any reference points or you don't have any like real contact with the thing, what looks like um, what looks like a really small triangle could just be a really huge triangle that's far away from you. Right? Yeah, makes sense. Or what looks like a really squashed thin triangle might just be a triangle that's sort of rotated away from you, mm -hmm. right? Where that sort of perspective makes it map onto your vision as like squashed and skinny, where you, you aren't able to have a sort of context for how far back it's going into your three-dimensional space, right? Yeah. Again, there's this disconnect between something two-dimensional, like a flat triangle even though we know we're simplifying, like if it's a flat triangle, it really has three dimensions. So it's mm -hmm. kind of, um, and yeah, that, well, that's sort of cheating. Oh gosh, dude, my tangents are just, it's wild. amazing. My tangents are so wild. I amazing. I don't know. I don't know. I like I think it. You're being too nice. <laughs> oh, really? I think it's, <laughs> I think it exemplifies your thinking and your thinking wouldn't be your thinking without it. Like you wouldn't be a person with all these thoughts without it. And that's why you're, well, that's one of the reasons why you're valuable. Well, thank you. I feel like I need help. And so maybe this is where people can help me and you can help me is how do I go off on a tangent, but somehow circle back to like make a larger connection. That's something that I worry about in my own thinking is that I, is that I branch so, so far sometimes and just go on tangents, I lose the central thread. I lose what I wanted to maybe think about. Yeah, um, I understand. Or I'm not sort of bending it back, you know, 
I'm losing that context again. No, it's all good. Maybe it's maybe it's my duty. So maybe I should speak for uh, for geometry's sake right now and say that because that, this is what I was thinking about while you were speaking. That I do think it's true that the human um, observer can't uh, see like perfection or measure it at all, but mm. what we see does stem from perfection. Let's say so. It's a it's an expression of the geometrical reality. And so in that sense, the reality is here, but it will never be perfectly expressed. But by virtue of its expression everywhere throughout nature with, with certain clear rules, let's say, um, like what makes a tree a tree type of conversation, it is it is there, but it must be on a, on a higher plane through uh, what Wolfgang would call like vertical causation. It's... Right. Uh, it's there right exactly exactly and well here's what i wonder about and maybe this is just an ultimate mystery is whether that perfection that dimension of perfection which maybe i also like to relate sort of the platonic forms to jung's archetypes to me that's a sort of again a bridge between the okay that's interesting yeah and the concepts right you think of like a particular archetype as a geometric shape it's a pattern oh wow. there's relationships between the features of the of the archetype mm -hmm. it has a character to it and it has symmetries it has numbered something about number and pattern in there um and maybe the archetypes again are like yeah nobody is the embodiment of an archetype nobody is one yes archetype. yes Yes, right. actually, because sometimes we call this. Uh, so, for example, the tree that you see over here, but so I'm seeing it. You're not seeing it, actually. But uh, <laughs> the tree that's in front of me right now, it's an expression of that archetype. And that's the word we sometimes use when we describe these geometrical realities. So it actually works perfectly the way you say it. It's true. Yeah. And I'm I'm pretty sure that Jung um maybe at some point he answered a question directly about this type of connection. I, I think that I heard this from a Bernardo Castrop interview at some point where he was mentioning that Jung sort of directly, um, he, he addressed that issue and was sort of, I guess I'll just say in some agreement that there's a conceptual bridge to be, to be had there. So Jung himself, would yeah. sort of uh, think about that. Another person that I, I believe would fall into that category is like Rupert Sheldrake with morphic resonance, right? And that there the there are these sort of like patterns of experience and patterns of habit, and there's mm -hmm. patterns of biology. Um, and it, it, but again, some of the biology is actually geometry, right? Like the mechanisms that are in our body cellular structures and uh genetic structures and things like that do rely on angle and proximity and yeah. length size um and the geometry of you know neurotransmitters matter for what occurs yeah and um so it's just it's nice to see that there's this conceptual perfect geometry and there's also the very real geometry and then there's also the archetypes and there's the very real sort of uh imperfect 
an action of archetypes, right? Or a yeah. blending synthesis of archetypes, or uh, it's an evolution of archetypes because I think um, I'm already, dude, we're already leading ourselves back to the Enneagram. I'm just saying that I, yeah, see, yeah. Perfect. I see it driving along with us, right? Amazing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're on a super speed, we're on the Autobahn right now. And I, <laughs> you know, up and like, we're going to let Enneagrams like come on in, like right, <laughs> right near Sounds the end. Sounds good. Nine um, lanes. But yeah, we, uh, it wouldn't make sense to even think about an archetype existing because the archetype itself, like the only context for the archetype is in the sort of systematic ordering of the archetypes. It's when placed in a different context, it has to have a different meaning, mm. uh, right? It, ha yeah. it sort of has to be applied. It, yeah. it has to be enacted. And because it does that in this reality place, there's, that sort of that seed of imperfection, right? There's that crystal seed that allows for things. Um, do, you, so. do you think that the archetypes are dependent on their expressions for their existence in our existence? Like, let's say like, for example, if there were no trees, if trees didn't exist, would the, would the archetypes still exist of the tree? Mm, this is a great question it's like do the archetypes have their own standalone existence yeah because i feel it's almost similar to ideas in a sense where last week we discussed this like what is the difference between an idea recorded versus not recorded and perhaps archetypes work similarly my gut tells me that yeah. that except I'm very willing to leave open a dimension that we're not aware of. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and it doesn't have to even be in some weird conception of what a dimension is. Maybe it's just <laughs> another space, right? Another category. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Another substance, another, you know, whatever sort of way you want to label some otherness. Um, I'm very willing to leave that open for things that we just can't access directly yeah. and we are limited in the way that we access things mm. um, and so it might only be through some sort of second hand or like trickle down access that we can conceptualize them so it feels like to me that it's that they they don't exist in this same place so in that sense they aren't here they aren't real in the same way um they are real in the sense that I can think about them. Um, and I will just be agnostic about whether they have their okay. own existence beyond. Can I ask you if you've ever experienced something from a different realm, would you say? I've had archetypal dreams. Yeah. So some very vivid ones. Um, where the symbol, uh, the, the symbology, uh, but it's not always just symbols like painted on the wall. It's figures, yeah. it's characters, it's situations where, you know, lions being chained to a wall in my dream have some symbolic representation. Yeah. Right. I'm not seeing an icon, but I, I'm seeing a full life symbol that um 
and recognizing it as such. Now, maybe that's because I was fortunate to read about some of those symbols before. Maybe that inspired my dream. The dream felt very different. There was a connection to a character who um, maybe some would say was like the the empress of the lions or something that came in and had a sort of visitor. Um, I sensed them as a sort of, they came into my dream, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it was, it, it was intentional or something. That's the way that it felt in my dreaming state. Yeah. And um, seeing a certain face in a certain pattern, uh, you know, that mm -hmm. when I went back and woke up and I was like, something just, this was something different. And I went to my Joseph Campbell books actually. And I was like looking through and I'm, <laughs> I'm seeing the same lions. I'm seeing the same woman. I'm seeing the, the, you know, the depiction of the face of the sun. And, you know, so um, how does that happen? Right. There's some, and maybe this is Wolfgang has like a system for this where there's causation between the levels. Yeah. And maybe I, I was on one end of that causation in that case, right. Where the, the higher level, the archetypes, the, they came down, maybe they're angels, you know, maybe angels is a good way. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say they come down like, um, or maybe the gods, you know, like from Greek times it's, uh, I, I wonder, I, I wonder about how that happens and how much of it is me, you know, even well, the last one. one of the reasons I'm persuaded by it being like semi-objective in a sense is that people have very similar experiences, um, like similar archetypal experiences in their dreams. And then especially thinking about psychedelic experiences, they're so similar in terms of what people experience. It's almost like, like I've heard that people are doing studies. I don't know if it's true where they put people on like a very slow drip of DMT to like map the realm. Yep. And just this language alone is already alluding to this idea that there's actually something to map and it's not just everyone's subjective fantasies or whatever. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaning toward that side for sure. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. Creating maps is an interesting thing to consider. <laughs> uh, yeah. Creating maps on this earthly existence is one thing and then creating maps of another realm <laughs> sounds a lot like physics yeah kind of kind of really because it feels like even when we when we speak about geometry what we're doing is we're forming images in our head i think at least i am and you are as well and still those are images like we almost forget we're not actually contacting the geometrical reality we're still <laughs> purposefully deceiving ourselves that we are actually dealing with perfect bodies but if those perfect bodies didn't exist, I don't think we could even imagine them collectively like this, like the way we do. Mm. Yeah, that is a deep question. But it's I know, right. yeah. Like consider, consider both cases. Consider the case where they do exist out there beyond us and consider the case where they don't exist out there beyond us. Mm -hmm. And if you can get to the same point, which is we have some experience of them. Yeah, like, no, absolutely are both possible i haven't gone through that it seems obvious it seems more it seems more clear as to how to get from they do exist out there and we experience them sort of down here in here mm -hmm. um that seems quite easy to make that connection 
it's harder, but I'm not sure if it's impossible to go from they don't exist out there somewhere else and we experience them in here. Well, I think um, maybe, um, you know, John Vega speaks about transactivity. And I think what I want to speak about is that we are stuck kind of in a subject-object duality as well, which is making this question so difficult for us because this is the way we like to map reality. Whereas, like like you say, you can leave open different options and still it can make sense. I think that for me would be at least a solution that keeps <laughs> keeps things open because uh, the world is not just subjects and objects. And, and yeah, so that that's what I say. How many, so how many things is it? Um, right. eleven. It's, no, <laughs> I don't know. if it's not two, maybe do we need a third? Do we need a fourth? I think playing around with that helps. Exactly. Yes, I agree. But do you know, like maps, like think about maps of of like like places. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes a certain map is useful and sometimes another one is useful that has different metrics and different statistics. Like that's why I think you can try different ones because they're all just different, you know, portals into. (laughs) Yes. To me, I think of those as, sort of layers mm-hmm. and so then we can sort of navigate the depth right exactly and to me i think that there's probably also a directionality or a hierarchy to that depth because depth sort of implies that by necessity yeah um, right if we to create depth you have to sort of like uh, be in different positions mm-hmm. and there has to be some sort of directionality to it um, or you could sort of impose some directionality. I guess you could also easily impose the opposite directionality as yeah. well. Um, but this is something that I think is critical for people to, I don't know, maybe um, practice, right? Create an ecology of practice, yeah. uh, like Verbeke says, for mm-hmm. this navigation of depth, right? How do I... How do I allow myself access to more layers of depth? There are probably many on any given uh, maybe event in your life that you're trying to assess, decision that you're trying to make, right? Way that you're trying to be. (laughs) Um, And so how do you allow for more layers that are different, distinct mappings? And how do you sort of navigate through those no, absolutely. It makes me also think of narrative in a sense where you can use different narratives to understand reality and different narratives serve different functions. And yeah, it's the same with your your deep fences or sorry, steep fences, deep trenches uh, <laughs> idea where yes, you can go down on the one side and you can go down on the other side and the insights will be different. So yeah, there's there's value in the different stories if i may use my petersonian yeah absolutely and um right maybe one of these uh sets of layers is the one two three four five six seven ness of Mm. things Mm. and that's kind of what i i feel like i'm in full agreement with you that um there are different stories and narratives that are useful and to me, for a human, maybe the story is potentially the most useful thing that we can get to. Yeah. Uh, 
but we can also like maybe start with geometry and get to a story. Yes. Um, Do you know Eric Weinstein? Yeah. Well, no, I don't know him personally, but he's like, I think, you know, sometimes he goes on Joe Rogan and he tries to explain something about geometry and, and math and physics. And usually he loses Joe like, like this. <laughs> yeah. And that's because what he wants, he doesn't want a story. He wants mathematics. Mm. So you'll see him try to basically like create some sort of grand narrative. Like he has this, he's tries, he's working on this theory of everything. I'm forgetting the name, but his show is named the portal. I don't know, but um, he loses people so quickly because the only people that will understand are some mathematicians, you know? So it reminds me of that because you, those are both ways to understand reality. But like you say, perhaps story works best for us. And perhaps that is why that will be most useful. Perhaps that is why that has been passed on throughout the generations as well. Absolutely. And, and maybe I mean most useful in a sense of like most useful to most people most of the time. Yeah, that's a nice one. It's not most useful when we want to engineer something, oh. right? It's not most useful maybe when we want to like have an organization, right? Or, yeah. a, or a company or something like that. Hold on just a sec. I got to yeah. pause it. I got I to gotta jump out and, yeah. and try and take, get real quick. Take your time.